0: Hi, I'm Victor Milligan, your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And in the studio with me is Pascal Meska, And today we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a fast follower? Welcome, Pascal. Thanks for having me. So we had a conversation before we got on air here about the differences between agility and adaptability and what that's causing in terms of refocusing people's attention to the core. So could you give a highlight of where we stand in that thinking?
1: So sure. the underlying story here is that over the last two, three, four, five years, people have been busy sort of digitizing their front ends, right? So they've been driving new customer experiences using things like mobile apps. They have connected products. They have things that sort of ultimately are supposed to drive a better and more enduring customer relationship. But as they sort of elevate on that particular perspective, they are now coming to realize that their core systems equally need to be adaptive. I mean, if you run a product as a service and you're not able uh, to run a finance system that is ultimately going to bill your customer on an as a service scheme, the customer experience goes down. So whatever you do in your core systems will ultimately have an impact on your customer relationship, whether it's in your supply chain and the way you produce stuff, the way you do customer service. So really, what we- seeing is that customer experience is having a reshaping effect on how core systems and processes that were initially built merely for the internal use and for internal efficiencies are now becoming much more relevant in the context of really driving enduring customer relationships and that is really putting the pressure on CIOs and their business partners to start to reshape the core systems that they have.
0: Yeah, one of the things that came out of our predictions work this year was that, to your point, CX as an instigator. Right. It sort of it sort of revealed that technical debt and data debt are real, and they're really holding things back. Exactly. And so the front end got agile, fast, but the anchor of the business was still there, and there's a desire to get at that corner.
1: That is right, and and the core issue that we find with most of our clients is that. Uh, the enduring silo structures are holding things back, right? I mean, because a lot of these systems exist in internal silos. With metrics tied to them that are measuring things on the basis of cost and efficiency rather than business outcomes or customer service. So what you now find is, as I said, you know, the, the way these new digital systems are driving experiences, those core systems are creating an experience gap from a customer perspective. And we can't solve the problem because you know all of these silo systems and metrics and the decision-making structures are not geared towards customers. They are merely geared towards you know, what we want to do from an internal perspective. Yeah,
0: it was interesting that there was a a bank here about two months ago. And this is a bank that's doing well in our CX index, Mm -hmm. proceed well in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And to your point, where they struggled was each silo, each P&L was having a set of experiences unto themselves. right? And there was this known dissonance between what the customer journey would look like of a successful customer and what they were doing. And they, they could they they were organized poorly
1: around the customer sort of problem. Well, exactly, and that's why what you see now in some organizations is that they're trying to bring in things like design thinking and customer journey mapping to reshape and redesign some of these core processes. Um, the problem here, though, is that you still have decision-making structures one client referred this to me is we have corporate antibodies yep. that are basically the line of business hats. You know yep. that They've been ruling these systems and processes in the context of what they think they can control. They're not used to controlling or owning customer relationships, right? So you run a supply chain or you run a manufacturing process and you for years have been sort of promoted and measured on the way you drive these internal efficiencies. And there's just a lot of cultural ambiguity you know, and in the way these people actually now are forced to think more in the context of customers. So this is a big change management program. So I have one customer in Germany, uh, a big auto manufacturer, that is now starting to reorganize, you know, some of these, you know, backend processes at the respective leaders as well in swarm organizations, right, where they use agile and DevOps principles to really redesign and rework, you know, some of these core processes, bringing in, you know, customer feedback, having outside, uh, you know, coaches, uh, setting up, you know, internal accelerator programs to really res- reskill and also reprogram the processes, the systems and the people to ultimately understand that, you know, they they need to think more in the context of an outside-in mentality rather than inside-out. And then really looking also at opportunities to shift these processes that have been built for internal efficiencies and to make them more convergent, you know, in the context of how they sort of interact in the context of a customer journey. And, and that's where these new forms of, of, you know, agile development, but also swarm organizations and other new organizational principles, you know, actually become quite handy.
0: Yeah. In our future of OR work, we, there's a underlying concept to it, which I think echoes what you just said, which was, you know, in the beginning you sense something is happening. So a bunch of meetings happen and people talk to each other and they tend to convince themselves that things are not that different. Exactly. And then the meetings
1: end. Exactly.
0: And then they have other meetings. They say, well, let's tackle the things we can, which typically goes to the external parts of the phone, the mobile app, the things that are non-disruptive, but still appear to make progress. Mm -hmm. Then at some point in time that runs its course. And you get to this this very troubling moment where you have to go to. Your oh, you're point. hitting a wall. You hit the wall, and it's not just the core, but it's the political capital of the firm that you're you're really addressing. Which is people have made their careers on these hierarchies, and they're the same people that have to shed their past success to get to new success. And that's a that's a very different kind of emotional thing, a different political thing, a different organizational thing.
1: Absolutely. The psychology plays a really important role. And and what is making matters worse now, you know, since you know, we're also talking about technology here, is that some of these line of business managers, because they are so protective of the way they've been working over the last couple of years, they're now basically trying to use things like automation, for instance, and throw this at their silo business process. Uh, and so what you get is maybe you know, three, four percent of cost savings in the context of your current metric. But what you should rather be doing is you're missing a great opportunity because you should be using the automation to integrate between the processes. That would really be the smart thing to do. You know, rather than just again looking at your supply chain process and drive automation around it. Look at how supply chain can leverage automation to integrate between production and after-sales service and distribution, all these other things that are adjacent to how you ultimately capture the end-to-end customer experience. Right. But again, the political capital that you mentioned you know, plays a major role. But also there is still you you look at these core systems, right? And they've been built like, you know, twenty, thirty years ago. You have things like big ERP systems that uh, again very much delivered and developed in the silo business context and they did cost a lot of money so mm-hmm. really before you start to break things up you know you you think twice right uh, but I think ultimately there is no way than just to basically look at the legacy systems really also as a way to you know to manage the change you're really shifting from these isolated core systems whether it's your core banking systems or your production system uh, to ultimately drive you know a much more streamlined integration between all the adjacent processes um, that you have. And and again, technology like automation and AI can be of great help. But if you waste all your innovation money or your tech budget to drive just, again, the linear efficiencies that you've been driving for the last couple of years, you're not going to get anywhere with that.
0: So the counter to that is that these systems work. And ultimately, there's a ton of capital in those systems and a full-blown overhaul is inherently disruptive, inherently risky,
1: time-consuming. Yeah, but do they really work? I mean, they work in the context of, you know, how they've been built and measured over so many years. But if you think about the airline industry, right? So we are able to check in and check out uh, of our, you know, airline seats, uh, but, do we have ever found an app where you can really track your baggage? Because the baggage handling system is still an internal system. But the customer expectation is now of that sort that you know customers, well, why can't I just find my luggage? Yeah, you know, why don't I see where the luggage is? I mean, Amazon can tell me where stuff is. So so really what we have is now this 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 pressure from the customer side uh, to really get an end-to-end experience and be able for everything that the, the company delivers to me as a service to be able to track. And and follow and also make change from my perspective right all of these internal systems have been built for the for the expert internal user now they need to be rebuilt for the casual customer user and that's a totally different way of not just designing user front ends but also in terms of the data integration the process integration that needs to happen and that's really i think you know where we're hitting the wall now
0: so we bought a car 6 months ago mm. the car was not in the lot so it mm. had to be ordered mm-hmm. And I said, well, it will be here in somewhere between five and ten days, which (laughs) sort of threw me because it's a car, it's a large entity that you should know kind of how long it takes to go from point A to point B. And as it's traversing from point A to point B, they still didn't know. And they said, We can only know two days beforehand and then one day beforehand. I'm like, Amazon can kind of give me a sense of it on a pure just to your very point. That kind of exposure is an underlying expectation and, and we've been constantly saying is that what I get in one industry is going to be expressed in the other industry and that up-leveling is just going to cause harm. That's that's really your point, which is customer expectations have just grown and grown and grown because of best in class outside some industries, outside yeah. and, of automotive, outside of Exactly. Banking.
1: And meanwhile, just to prove my point again, in the real life, we know that car manufacturers actually lose cars during the production process. It's hard to do. <laughs> You would think, but, you know, it's, it's, it's happening as we speak. I mean, I was talking to one of uh, the German guys and one of the big problems is that, you know, they, they produce so much output, but then they have no storage. And so once the car leaves the factory line, they have to put them somewhere and cars got lost. Yeah. So it's no wonder that, you know, they won't be able to tell you exactly when the car is going to be aware and when. So I'm going to bring you to the discussions that you're having with these
0: clients. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to sort of, Posit what you just said to me, which is, the systems work if nothing around them changed. Right. But what is around them has changed and changed significantly. And will change even more. And so now, the way the systems work, that has to get rethought. How do clients internalize that? What, what's their mental process for absorbing that information and deciding to take that journey?
1: That's a great question. Um, a German saying says, the fish stings from the head. So a lot of it has to do with how well the CEO is really sort of believing in this notion of managing a company for permanent change as opposed to managing it towards short return on investments and shareholder value. I'll give you one example. You know, one of the, the big German industrial companies, Siemens, uh, the CEO, Joe Kayser, got up in front of the investment community around about a year ago, and this was the first time I ever saw this, where... Somebody who would usually talk in front of the investors about short-term profits and order intake and pipeline and all these sort of things. He said, in order to drive our business towards change and reflect also how our products are changing in the way they deliver value for customer, the key metric that I will be measured on as a CEO of this company is the net promoter score. So think about this, right? This is an industrial company that produces turbines, that produces uh, healthcare machines, that produces trains. How on earth are you going to sort of elevate down from an NPS perspective into all the operational functions, into the product management, product delivery functions, the idea that what you are delivering is not a fixed capital asset that you sell and you measure the value based on how much of it you have sold, but rather measure it on the basis of how often are customers using this and are they do they like the experience around using the product? So, so really what I'm saying with this is, without a strong executive mandate where there's a willingness to also talk to shareholders about the need to change the way you look at the value a company generates, you're not going to get anywhere. Think about General Electric, right? I mean, you know, Jeff Immelt, part of the reason why he got ousted was because shareholders were so used to the short return on investment mantra that this company had driven for so many years. And the way they were sort of doing digital, you know, was requiring upfront investments into new technology, new skills, new ecosystems. But it wasn't delivering the shorter term of investments that the company got used to. So it's really important to sort of, you know, if you want to go in that direction of becoming adaptive and, and changing the way customers are driving you to use your, their products, you really have to start elevating it down from the top and that then really becomes your core measure to start changing the way you measure your internal processes around how you produce stuff, manage stuff and and, and ultimately deliver it to the customer. The second point here I think is, apart from from the executive mandate, is to really see how you can create um, a shift away from a linear silo business structure um, to a more clustered mode of operation so what i mean by this is that we're not going to we're still going to need supply chain experts we're not still going to need manufacturing and production experts but the way we manage these you know has to shift from you know looking at them really sort of as individual business units within your organization as part of a clustered mode of operation where each one makes a contribution so if i'm in the supply chain operation my key metric should not be how how good i am in sort of Pushing down cost for individual goods, but I should rather be measured on how timely is the delivery of the goods in the context of the mass customization that I need to drive. Um, how, what is the quality of the good that I have to embed into the context of my product so that it continues to drive a positive customer experience? So I really need to elevate everything that I do in the silo business context from a merely internal perspective to metrics and measurements that have something to do with the end customer. And, you know, to go back to the Siemens example, um, you know, they sold uh, an entire train line uh, to the government of Spain. And there's a horse train running between Barcelona and Madrid. The government's ambition is to actually reduce air travel between those two great cities. And so what Siemens has done is they they are not selling the train. They're basically getting paid on how many customers have used the train and how satisfied they are with the service. Wow. So again, you know, that's not
0: just that's not just like air miles using that example. No, that's that's actually the the experience per mile. So what
1: what does it mean for Siemens? Siemens not only has to engineer great trains, but they have to create an ecosystem. That make sure that there's good Wi-Fi in the trains, that the toilets are clean, that you know the coaches are clean. So they really have to take much more responsibility and risk. But then again, go back to your shareholder and explain that, right? right? Because for hundreds of years you've been producing and engineering great trains, right? This is this is mechanical stuff. But now you have to build an empathy for your customer, not just producing a 30 pages manual for how to use the product, but you have to cater for customers even if you know they go through bad experiences and and that's something that you have to reflect in the way you measure the way you build your internal metrics and the way you sort of rebuild some of these processes in the context of as I said this end-to-end customer journey experience
0: so we started this discussion with the concept of fast follower yeah so the, the the underlying logic to that says no matter what industry you're in someone's gonna come and disrupt it disruption is now normal And you simply have to be ready to react. Right. Because if you're not ready to react, the distance grows too big. And it's just, it's too costly, too time consuming, or you simply can't catch up. So are firms sort of rethinking adaptability as readiness, as sort of, are are people linking those ideas together that I I may choose to disrupt, but I certainly need to be able to react to it?
1: Exactly. And I think, I mean, not everybody is made for being the leading disruptor. Um, you know, there are great companies out there who've been making their money based on the assumption that they can be good fast followers, right? Uh, Microsoft would be a good example. My colleague James Staten talked to me about this yesterday. Think about it. You know, where, where Microsoft today is strong uh, is in areas that they have not invented. You know, think about their commitment to open source, for example. Think about the Microsoft Surface uh, tablets. Um, These are things that they now basically provide to customers at scale, whilst they have never been sort of, you know, the early adopters or the the early market leaders in this particular space. Um, And it's important to understand that, you know, whilst the digital customer experience is super important because that's sort of the decisive factor of of the touch points, you know, with your customers, if you can't get your operational stuff in order and really also measure digital operational excellence that gives you, the ability to continuously change as your customer experiences are changing, as economic conditions are changing, um, you're not going to get anywhere. So again, the idea of a fast follower is, is somebody who can sort of really change the core around systems and processes to a point where you know, they create options for themselves as and when change is required. So some of the measurements really shift to what we express in the context of our TEI model. You know, we are measuring the agility the flexibility and the time to market of how quickly we can change certain ways of working to changing market conditions. Um, A great example would be, if you think about, I mean, again, my American friends will kill me for this, but... um, They're not listening. (laughs) If you think about Tesla, right? I mean, Tesla is a great company when it comes to creating customer experiences. They really reinvented the way you want to drive a car. I mean, the whole contextualized experience you get in the car um, is is fantastic. It is absolutely market leading, but they got almost killed, you know, and almost went bankrupt because they couldn't scale around the operational side. They couldn't produce this stuff at scale. They thought we just do automation. We throw a lot of software into the factory, and it will just basically give us enough cars to build. Well, it doesn't work that way, right? Because it's a complex process, right? And it's things have to tie together at numerous ends, and and you need to be an expert in managing processes that sort of automatically hand over one thing to the next. So some of the more established manufacturers, while they're definitely behind in the context of, you know, the customer experience side of things, you find that they are actually quite quick now to catch up in terms of the operations, you know, building factories around batteries and electric components and also changing the way they sort of work in an ecosystem structure now to sort of do things together. If you think about BMW and Mercedes now converging their programs for car sharing So there's a lot that, you know, companies that have an operational agility can do to really become fast followers and and at a point maybe even be able to use the agility in their operations to at least get to a point where they can become real competitors also around the customer experience. I think there's a certain optimism to what you're saying, which argues that,
0: sure, the new players can invent a new experience. They They can recontextualize the automotive industry, that type of thing. But it doesn't actually doom the traditional players. The traditional players simply have to look hard at their business and start reinventing from within. And there's enough stories out there that shows that that's possible. And then they bring the value of scale. Absolutely. The value of the fact that they can control and run their business extraordinarily well. Those values that brought them to where they are actually play out well in a different space
1: as well. Right. Plus, they often have an established ecosystem of supply chain partners, of innovation partners that they can tap into, you know, quite quickly. Uh, whereas that also is hard to replicate for a digital native business, right? So, again, if I go back to the Tesla example, this was one of the core reasons they didn't have the supply chain relationships to scale around, you know, the Tesla Model Three. Um, but of course, you know, if you look at the established players, these ecosystems have been you we know, are well-oiled machines for for you know a lot of years so it's it's definitely an opportunity for companies again to look at the operational side of things and realizing that if i can make my core operations more agile if i'm able to sort of adapt to the changing context of my markets uh, my customer experience and also the changing context of technology of course Um, then, you know, I'm not in a bad position. I mean, again, not everybody is made to be a disruptor. Um, And again, also, if you look at shareholders and the way they look at some of these investments that, you know, have been driving some of these digital bold on experiences, they like the traditional stream of revenue. So you have to really, as you said, you have to, this is a trade off question you know this is you have this is a balancing act for most key decision makers in ceo positions to analyze you know how much can i risk going into the disruptive area but at the same time how much should i really invest into making my core functions so agile that i also have other options you know come the time where i can actually use them right in our
0: 2019 predictions a core theme was sort of strategy turns pragmatic right and the concept there was is a set of firms that had big, bold strategies, yep. but the core business, core meaning the technology, the people, the organizational structure, all the things that you just referred to, Pascal, they really weren't ready. And the firms are going to use 2019 to go back in time and say, I'm going to take on that piece, take on the technical debt, take on data, rethink pieces of my organization and come out 2020 swinging um, because I can take advantage of scale and control, that type of thing. Yeah, That's really what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, I, I would just argue that it probably takes longer than a year. So 2020 might be a little bit optimistic. Yeah, because if you think about, I'm in a good mood today. Yeah, no, that, but but again, I, I think the realization is if if you are, let's say, if you are a retail bank, you know, and you're looking at your core banking structure, and you may have five, six, seven different core banking systems because your business leaders told you that every business, you know, it needed a different core banking strategy. You don't differentiate in the way you do core banking. Before you can lift and shift to you know, maybe a cloud-based core banking system that you ultimately share with your competitor, um, you know that takes a long time. But that's that's the solution, right? Is think of, thinking about your core systems not only as systems that you need to make agile, but ultimately shared, right? I mean, the success of Salesforce.com has been showing to us that sharing systems and ways of working, even between competitors, is ultimately putting everybody into a better position. And why not apply the same concept to the core systems that we run in those silo business units that we have today? I think that's going to be a big side effect of this, is that more and more companies will start to share platforms that ultimately will drive industry-specific solutions around supply chain, for instance, around procurement. I mean, we already have that in that particular space. But even shared production units, right? I mean, you will have more outsourced production because there are specialist skills in one area that you have, and your competitor may have another specialist experience. So this this idea of sort of taking the agility that you're trying to build for yourselves but expand it into an ecosystem of partnerships – I think is is a big part of that story. I'm going to go back to one thing you said
0: earlier on, which is we're really not talking about change management. We're talking about change as constant. It's really about adaptability. Right. So you're not change management moves you from point A to point B, then you live in point B. Your comment is there is no point B. It's just a continuum of change that you're constantly on. You're going to take on system by system. It may not take a year. That might be overly optimistic, but it has to be a mindset of I'm constantly going to look at core to ensure that I'm ready to go if the market forces my hand right. or if simply the opportunity compels me to go
1: the the notion that we could build and implement systems and then that would take us two three years and then we would have three four five years to digest this and just wait for the next technology evolution i mean those times are over it's a constant evolution and i mean this idea that digital transformation for instance you know would have an end point I mean, forget about it. You know, digital, I think, you know, we should actually get rid of the term digital at this point, you know, because it's really about continuous change and making our companies adaptive because we don't know what the future holds. I mean, with everything that's going on in, you know, the political arena and, you know, the economic environment and. You know, demographic change and all the uncertainties that we have around us. Uh, who can predict? You know what the future really holds. You so you have to be ready. You have to be ready, and you have to be adaptable. That's really the key story. So you have to look at your workforce, for instance, more in the context of a burstable workforce. Certain skills you will maintain in house. Other skills you will automate. Other skills you will ultimately take to a crowdsourcing or ecosystem kind of relationship, maybe with the gig economy or some other specialized new skills. You will have to change also the way you you create career paths for people so rather than having pyramid structures where people move up or out you will have to work like more in the google context right People will gain experience as they move from one project to the next. And it's not just a question of up and out, but moving left and right and just gaining more experiences in different areas. That what makes the business leader of the future, right? Is the adaptability to learn, continuously learn new things, have constructive ambitions to sort of drive more experiences for yourself and for the company in all sorts of areas and continuously be connected to an outside ecosystem that you can tap into to close the gaps that you might have for yourselves. We've gone through a lot of different things, Pascal, and I'm going to bring you back to being in front of a
0: client, a leader that believes everything you just said intellectually, but recognizes that if they go, they're going to set in motion a whole set of things that are unfamiliar, alien to them, don't have clear outcomes, aren't easily controlled against a set of future uncertainties. So there's that emotional
1: hesitancy. What do you say to them to kind of get them to go? Pick one process one lighthouse project Try to find allies within you know the lines of business and there will always be one or two who really are trying to think ahead i mean i think it would be unfair to think that all these corporate antibodies are super protective there are certainly some that are willing to change but if you can identify one process it doesn't have to be a huge thing but think of one element that you can start to sort of integrate and re-engineer in a different way and then start to measure what value it has delivered in the context of the end-to-end customer experience build your internal case studies. You need to build the proof points because it's all about trust. It's all about building trust around a new way of working. I mean, one of the reasons why, you know, this one company I talked about is moving to swarm organizations. It's doing this in the context of very selective processes. They started with HR, by the way, because HR was one of these horizontal processes where they really had a problem. You know, couldn't find enough right digital talent, not in the right places, not for the right money. And so they they really turned the ship around by changing what is a very internal system into more of an ecosystem experience where they could tap into workforces that sit outside the company bring in also outside feedback and mechanisms and use single examples of how they change the way of working to basically then take it to the next level. I mean, it's, it's really about starting to create credibility and trust around a new way of working, but pick your early lighthouse projects very carefully, continuously measure and show how the new way of working and the new measures and metrics are basically benefiting everybody. I mean, ideally, this should be a win-win situation. Even those that you know have been driving the silo structures for so long should see that ultimately they can gain too. And I think that's where you bring the trust back to the organization. Pascal, it's always a pleasure. Dankeschön. Danke.
0: Master Tech-Driven Innovation at Forrester's Digital Transformation Forums in Chicago, London, and Mumbai join our analysts and business technology leaders to hear the trends and challenges that you will face in the coming year. For more information and to reserve your seat, visit slash dt 2019 That's f o r r.com/dt2019. Thanks for listening.